God's peculiar sense of timing. It's an unusual piece of art, to say the least. When you first see it, you may say, you know, it's not very attractive. And you would be right. When you first see this piece of art, you might say, well, you know, it's not very colorful either. And you would be right. When you first see this piece of art, you may say, oh, you know, it's just not very interesting. Ah, but then you would be wrong. When Rhonda and I first saw this piece of art, we laughed. We actually laughed. We, we shook our heads in disbelief and said, who would buy such a thing? And then we started to walk away. But something or someone stopped us and we decided to take a closer look. And we soon realized that this piece of art told a story. It told a story of a peculiar moment in time, a moment in God's time, in God's timing. I'm not going to show you this piece of art, at least not, not yet, but I promise to show that piece of art to you a little bit later on in the message. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your timing, timing that we don't often understand, certainly don't understand it much of the time. But we thank you, Lord, that uh, you are an on-time God. Yes, you are, and we thank you for that. And we rest in that assurance that everything that happens to us is in your timing. I pray, Lord, that this particular time, this message will be the right time for someone who doesn't know you, for someone who has fallen away, for someone who needs to have their faith reinvigorated, restarted. And I pray, Lord, that your willing servant will speak the words that you would have him to speak. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Mark 5 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Of course, I love John 3, and uh, I think Brother Ken preached John 3, and I love John 4. Brother Patrick preached John 4, but I love Mark 5. But it's like Rhonda says, Kevin, you do have a lot of favorite chapters. And the thing about Mark 5 is we... We're not even going to cover all of Mark 5 today. We're only going to cover the second half. As a matter of fact, when Blackman Baptist Church began a short seven years ago, when this church was being planted, Mark was the very first book that we preached all the way through, 16 chapters, 43 sermons, changed my life. I got to know Jesus better, and I got to love him better than I had ever before. So I've already preached through Mark 5, and, uh, but I, I took the whole chapter, and my outline for Mark 5 was Jesus is the 3D Lord. Jesus is Lord over demons. And in the first part of Mark chapter 5, you see that Jesus takes the boat and goes over to one side of the Sea of Galilee and delivers a man that had been possessed by a legion 
of demons. So Jesus is the Lord over demons. And in today's passages, we're going to see that Jesus is the Lord over disease. And also, He is the Lord over death. Uh, Trevin and I were talking about this particular outline, and, uh, and he said, but Dad, what about Mark chapter 4, when Jesus calmed the seas? I mean, that's right before this, right before all this happened. And Trevin said, he's Lord over the winds and the waves too. And I said, well, that's okay, Trevin, but if it's going to fit, it has to start with D. And so he instantly said, Jesus is Lord over the depths. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Did you notice the word again? Let's look at it again. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. Much of the action in the book of Mark especially chapters 4 and 5, centers around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus used the Sea of Galilee as uh, one of his main forms of transportation, boat across the Sea of Galilee. And uh, at the beginning of this chapter, he does sail across the sea and delivers this uh, Gentile man. And now he's going to sail to another town. The town is unnamed. For years I thought it was Capernaum, but I'm not sure that it's actually named. And Jesus is sailing back across the sea because he has two appointments that have been set for him 12 years before. Notice that the people of the town saw him coming and a large crowd gathered around him. It's just like Jesus just can't get a break. He can't get a break from the action. He can't get a break from the ministry. And people are crowding him even now. Maybe that's another reason why he used the Sea of Galilee because it at least afforded him a little bit of time where he could, as we know in chapter 4, he could take a nap uh, and spend some time with the disciples and teach them little things by, about faith. Ministry can be nonstop and exhausting. And sometimes when I feel overwhelmed and exhausted in the ministry, and being one of your pastors here at Blackman Baptist Church, I take great comfort from knowing that Jesus was exhausted too. I remember that the Lord suffered in this way. Mark chapter 5, verses 22 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord now. After Jesus arrives at the, the seashore of this little town, one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. But here comes the interruption. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And so he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you? 
and yet you say who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. This is the word of the Lord. God's peculiar sense of timing. Twelve years before this happened, two appointments were made. Twelve years ago, a little girl was born. A journey of happiness that seemed to be ending today in sadness. A family waiting twelve years for Jesus to come and save the day. Twelve years ago, this lady noticed for the first time that something was wrong. She was sick. And so began her journey of suffering, pain, and brokenness. Twelve years of waiting for Jesus to make her whole. Twelve years, 144 months, 624 weeks, 4,383 days. That is a long time. The great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon had this to say about 12 years. He asked this question. He said, was this woman sent, do you think, to encourage the faith of Jairus? It has been well said that the child of Jairus had been 12 years living, but this woman had been 12 years dying. So if Christ could heal the woman who had been 12 years dying, he could certainly raise the child who had been 12 years living. And he's right, of course. And I love Spurgeon, and I would only offer a contrary opinion ever so timidly. (laughs) But I do not think that this woman was sent necessarily to encourage Jairus. Not an encouragement, but maybe a test. Certainly this was an interruption. And I have found that interruptions are often serious tests of my faith. Jesus stopped, took time to speak to an unimportant, unnamed woman. He took time for her. Everyone is important to Jesus. Warren Wiersbe, that great Bible teacher and preacher who just recently went to be with the Lord, said this about this this woman. She let nothing stand in her way. We covered this in Sunday school today. She did not stop. She kept coming. She pushed through the crowd. She came to Jesus. She could have used any number of excuses to convince herself to stay away from him. She might have said, I'm not important enough to ask Jesus for help. Or she could have said, look, he's going with Jairus. I I won't bother him now. She could have argued that nothing has worked up to this point, so why try again? Or she might have concluded that it was not right to come to Jesus as a last resort after visiting all those physicians and exploring all her options. However, she laid aside all arguments and excuses and came by faith to the feet of Jesus. God's peculiar sense of timing, timely interruptions. I read this week of a lady who was in Seattle, and she chose one of the bridges there to end her life. She was going to jump. And the police became aware of it and went and blocked off both um, sets of traffic coming either direction. And it created a, a colossal traffic jam that waited for three that that went for three hours. 
And some of the people caught in the traffic jam got so mad that they began to curse the woman and they screamed at her to go ahead and jump. And she did. But somehow she survived the 160-foot fall into the canal. Later on, many residents sent flowers and cards to her in the hospital apologizing for what had happened. But some of the angry drivers phoned the local newspaper and blamed the woman for not choosing a less traveled bridge to end her life. People with urgent needs seldom intersect our lives at convenient times. Each situation demands immediate attention, which will often upset our own cherished plans. So my question is, should we begin to look at interruptions differently? My niece shared this with me this week. This is from a mother's devotional, so this is especially for, your, for our, the mothers out there. Interruptions are what we name the unexpected events in our re- routine and agenda. That time you had to stop what you were doing and, and maybe run your husband's work key to his office. When your mom phoned at just the wrong time. When you woke up sick or even worse, when your husband comes home sick. When the car needs gas, but you're late to work. The potty accidents, the temper tantrums, the spills. What if we began asking God, what do you have for us in the interruptions? What if we began seeing the fracturing of our schedule and plans as a gift sent to shape and grow us? What if we stopped in the moment and asked God to show us the lesson? Then maybe God's agenda could become our new agenda. Maybe that shift in plans is an opportunity to speak about grace and kindness and a life lived for God rather than living for ourselves. Maybe it's time to give ourselves and others some grace and adjust our timetable rather than being irritated and helpful and hateful. With a new mindset and perspective change, we can begin calling our interruptions divine appointments. Will you allow God to be in charge of your day? Isaiah chapter 55 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's timing is different than ours. C.S. Lewis said this, The great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of our own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life God is sending to us day by day. And you remember that piece of art that I was telling you about? You know, the unattractive, uncolorful piece of art that Rhonda and I initially could not figure out? Well, that artwork is about this very moment in the story, the moment right before healing, the moment of intense faith, and longing, the moment when an unnamed suffering woman reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And that moment was an interruption. And in a few minutes, I will interrupt this message to show you that artwork because Ron and I bought that piece of artwork and it now hangs in our dining room. But we'll get to that in a minute. And now the rest of the passage, Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 43, hear the word of the Lord. While he was still speaking, and you see it's another interruption. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogues 
synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, do not be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him. The King James says they laughed him to scorn. But he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders so that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Let's try that again. This is the word of the Lord. This is Mark 5, y'all. If you can't get excited about Mark 5. God's peculiar sense of timing, timely interruptions. The second point in the message today is absolutely Goldilocks. Can you imagine the thought of the lady? Of the lady, uh, Can you imagine what she was thinking as Jesus moved through the crowd on his way to Jairus' house? I imagine she's thinking something along this line. Jesus... Slow down. Please slow down. Can you imagine the feelings of Jairus as Jesus does slow down? Then he stops and then he has a conversation. And I imagine that Jairus is saying, Jesus, hurry up. Please hurry up. They both wanted something different in timing. This is what I call a Goldilocks moment. Whatever God gives us, we're not really happy with it. Everything's either too hot or too cold, too big, too small, too soon or too late. But with Jesus, all of our moments are, like Goldilocks would say, just right. Jesus knew exactly what they needed and Jesus knew exactly when they needed it. So we see God's peculiar sense of timing. We see timely interruptions. We see... Absolutely Goldilocks. It's always just right. And then we also see that God's sense of timing is practically wrong. I love these two stories because Jesus appears to be so impractical. The crowd is pressing all around Him and then something happens. Jesus stops and turns around and says, Who touched me? And then the practical disciples, and they're Jewish, so you can almost imagine how they're saying it, Look at the crowd, Jesus. Everyone around you is trying to touch you, and yet you want to know who touched you. The disciples are so practical. They're so practical, they would have missed the miracle. But Jesus won't let that happen because he knows that his disciples are practical, yes, but practically wrong. And then the news, the dreaded news arrives that Jairus' daughter has died. And the practical messengers say, why trouble the teacher? You're too late. Your daughter is dead. The messengers, too, are so practical. They would have missed the miracle. But Jesus won't let that happen because He knows the messengers are practical, all right, but they're practically wrong. And then they arrive at the house of Jairus and the paid professional mourners are weeping and wailing as was the custom there. 
in the Jewish culture, most likely the family is already preparing the dead body of the little girl for burial because in the Jewish world, burial takes place on the same day that you die before the sun goes down. The mourners are so practical and they too will miss the miracle. But Jesus won't miss the opportunity because he knows that the mourners, yes, they were practical, but they were practically wrong. And my question to you in your practicality, how many miracles are we missing because we're so practical? Where is our faith? God's peculiar sense of timing, timely interruptions, absolutely Goldilocks, just the right time, practically wrong in the eyes of the world, and God's peculiar sense of timing, supremely kind. Hear the words of Jesus to the lady, to the lady, daughter, he said to her, daughter, he calls her daughter. Your faith has saved you. And just to make sure you know that this is a long-lasting miracle that's going to last you the rest of your life, go in peace and be healed from your affliction. He didn't have to say that. He didn't even have to stop. The miracle had already been done. She'd already been healed. But Jesus is so kind. I read this this week. Most likely from the ground, this woman reaches through the crowd and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. He responds in kindness. He doesn't put her in her place or reprimand her for touching him, making him ceremonially unclean. In fact, he calls her daughter. It's a term of endearment. It's a way to say it's okay that she reached out to the Master to receive healing power from Him. Supremely kind. Hear the words of Jesus to Jairus. Don't be afraid, only believe. Jairus, by this time, is getting tired of interruptions. This lady has interrupted Jesus, and now they're about ready to resume their journey back to the house, and now here come some more messengers to interrupt, and they have terrible news. Sir, your daughter is dead. Jesus didn't have to do what he did then, but he looks at Jairus and he says, don't be afraid, only believe. I want you to contrast the kindness of Jesus against the practicality and pragmatism of the others. The practical common sense of the disciples who touched me. That was their question. Jesus' answer, be healed. The practical common sense of the messengers, uh, your daughter is dead. Versus, don't be afraid, only believe. The practical common sense of the mourners who laughed him to scorn. Versus, the child is not dead, but asleep. Now I've been teasing you the entire message about showing you the piece of art. And so, if you would put that up on the screen now. I think Ann is working on it. Or is it up here? Can someone help me with that? You sure it's up here? Because I, I know Anna's got it. Oh, it's, sorry. I'm, I have so many systems here that, that's good. Anna says, if you're in our Facebook uh, audience, you, you can see it, and you are seeing it. But you've got to show it to the people who are here. Is there a way to do it? I'll have to show it to you after the sermon. Well, or, or I'll, I'll, you know what I really ought to do? I ought to let Sam describe it because Sam has seen it and he was so gracious to not uh, describe it this morning in Sunday school. But uh, Sam has seen this piece of art, so I'm going to have to tell it to you. Th- those of you who are at home, you have a special blessing that the people here 
uh, did not have. But the piece of art is so interesting, not because it's colorful, because it's not, it's, it's monochromatic. Uh, not because the subject matter is interesting. There are no faces in this um, piece of art. As a matter of fact, there's feet. I counted them. There, there are 12 feet in, in, the, uh, in the picture. And that was one of the things that Rhonda said. Who would buy a picture of dusty, dirty feet? <laughs> And, um, and I think you see a, the end of a staff. Jesus, I think it's Jesus' staff because his rod and his staff, they comfort me. And you see the hem of his garment and then you see this hand reaching out to the hem of his garment so close, ever so close. And that's the moment that the artist has captured. And uh, I know that y'all are trying to bring that up on the screen, so I appreciate that. But in conclusion, I will tell you this, that just as Jairus fell at the feet of Jesus and said, please come to my house, my daughter is dying. And just as this lady who had had an issue of blood for 12 years fell at the feet of Jesus and touched the hem of his garment, I will tell you this, all your needs can be met at the feet of Jesus. That's God's peculiar sense of timing. And that's where we need to be. Father, we thank you for these stories. We know they're true. And we know that Jesus uh, lived these stories. And we thank you, Lord, for the encouragement that they give us that all of our needs can be met at the feet of Jesus. I think of the words of Jesus to, to the lady, daughter, your faith has healed you. I think of his words to Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. I think of his words to the little girl, little girl, I say to you, rise up. And I think, Lord, just as you set these appointments 12 years before, you knew that Jesus would be keeping those appointments. And I pray, Lord, that we would have the faith to trust you for not only what you will give us, but when you will give it to us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.